preach a little bit and we take up a little bit more of this at the end of the service. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Praise God. The Lord moved on my heart to start talking about the Psalms. I rarely preach from the Old Testament these days. It is because I consider it insignificant or not worthwhile. Years ago, I preached mostly from the Old Testament. One day I came to realize that I was preaching that much from the Old Testament and less from the New Testament. And I kind of got a grip on it. Asked God to help me, lead me, and direct me. He usually does when I pray like that. I started preaching more from the New Testament than I ever had. And that's held true over several years now. The Lord led me to go read the four Gospels. And I read those four Gospels. Then he led me to read them again. I read them again. And I read, the, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When I got through with that, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't know how many times I read it. But God just kept me there reading that again. And I realized more and more and more. This is a New Testament era. This is a New Testament day. This is a day of the New Covenant. This is a New Testament age, and we're living in that. We're a New Testament church. And that doesn't mean that I disregard the Old Testament. I'm preaching from it this morning, so certainly I don't. But I give preeminence to the New Testament in preaching because I believe that's where the message for today resides. And you will rarely hear me preach from the Old Testament these days. Again, not because I disregard it or disrespect it in any way, but simply because God had led me to do differently. So you've heard me much over these last recent years talk about the book of Galatians that simply strikes down everything to do with the law. It just crushes everything to do with the law. And Paul says that we're adopted into the body of Christ by the blood of Jesus. We carry our lives are carried forward only by the blood of Jesus Christ. It makes it very clear in Galatians that there's nothing left of the law that we should revere because we are living under grace and not under law. But I also find that oftentimes when I look at certain places in the Old Testament Scriptures, as I find this morning, that there are places that greatly reveal the grace of God. And I believe Psalm 1 does just that. It reveals a, a great truth about the grace of God. There is an opportunity for you to have your life changed if you've never come to Jesus Christ and found Him as Savior. There's an opportunity for you to have your life changed, which will make all the difference in how you live your life, what happens as you live your life, and where you go at the end of this life in this world. Psalm 1 actually is the story of two roads. You see, you can take the one road, or you can take the other road. But you can't travel both of those roads at the same time. You have to decide which road you're going to walk on, which road you're going to travel. And Psalm 1 is all about that. This is what the Psalm 1 in the English Standard Version says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. For the King James says, sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, 
because he meditate day and night. I'm, I'm reading. I'm reading what the English Standard says, and I'm remembering what the King James says. <laughs> so I haven't forgotten it. This is this is the this is the way it says. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The believer, this man that's walking this godly way, because he started off saying, "Blessed the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful." He's walking in a righteous way, and his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree, this righteous person who's walking in the, in the pathway of God. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Hallelujah. In all that he does, he prospers. That's what he said. That's what, that's what the writer of Psalm, this Psalm said, and I believe it's true. In all that he does, he prospers. Praise God. There's a gain for the person that serves God and walks in the path of the Lord. And all he does is prosper. The wicked are not so. The unrighteous are in a contrast to the godly life. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. That word chaff means something that's useless or worthless. No redeeming value can be found in it. Like the leftovers from the husk of, husking of the corn and the those parts that are left of that you're trying to find a way to get rid of that need to be burned out. The wind just comes in and blows them away, you hopefully, and they're gone. All the five versions that I look at that I study for when I'm preparing for something in the Scriptures, there are five versions that I look at carefully. I look at the King James, the English Standard Version, the New International Version, the Amplified Bible, and the New Living Translation. Every one of them uses the same word in this place, chaff. Do I need a little bit of a muzzle on this somewhere or other? Because I can't carry myself. <laughs> I can't. Maybe I need that little thing that's not on here that goes on. If I do, somebody help me and slip it up here to me. So, in all that he does, it, the, the wicked are not like the righteous. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way, the path, the road. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this song talks about two different persons. It talks about two different directions. It talks about two different results in life. There's a direct contrast between the righteous and the unrighteous in this Psalm 1. And it's powerfully presented. Jesus talked a lot about two ways, two roads, two paths, two different ways of life. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, this is what Jesus said. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Well, that doesn't sound too encouraging. There are more.
Jesus said, now I'm talking about two ways. And then, wonderful, wonderful about Jesus. Then he started talking really about one way. He really wants to emphasize the one way. He wants people to know that the wrong way is out there. But he wants to tell you so much about the one way, the right way, the one right way, that you'll embrace it, accept it, receive it, and live it, and walk in it. This is, I, can, I can't give you everything he said about that. This is just one of the things he said. In the beginning of John chapter 14, they were in the upper room. Jesus said to all of them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house, there are many mansions, and I would have told you if it were not so. Because it is so, I put it in there. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go up to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And then he said, you can follow me and walk with me. Come to be with me because you know where I'm going and you know the way. Thomas, on behalf of all of us, as he usually did, stood up and said, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus had told them over and over again. Over three years, he'd been telling them. They hadn't quite grasped all of it yet. They were still trying to receive it and accept it. He said, how can we know the way? And then Jesus gave them this mighty answer that has, that has enforced so many of us for so long and reinforced us and, again, strengthened us in our faith. Then Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way. One way. There's one way. And I'm that way. There's one truth. And I'm that truth. And just to go a little further with you, there's one life that's worthwhile and valuable and has eternal consequences. And I'm that life. So if you live in me, you're on the right path. You're going the right direction. And you're going to wind up at the right destination. Because that's who I am. I'm the one who makes your life real, gives you life, and leads you through this world, and leads you into the land of promise and victory that's for the people of God who believe and walk in me. He's the path. He's the way. He's the right road to victory. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, when Peter was preaching early in the book of Acts, he said, there was contention about Jesus, of course. There are people who opposed everything about the message of recently been crucified, and they said he was just claiming resurrection, but we know it was a reality. So Peter stood up to preach before a, a, a mixed crowd, to say the least. People who, had, who didn't believe who were really opposed and were really oppositional, and then people who had come to believe. But this is one of the great things that he said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither, uh, remember, he's preaching to a lot of people who are antagonists toward Christ, full of hate toward Christ. And I dare say you know, that the Saul of Tarsus was one of those people because many times in the early part of the book of Acts, he was a part of those who were antagonistic antagonistic toward the message of Christ. But, Jesus, but Peter said to all of them, there is salvation. There is salvation in no other name. No other name. Jesus said, neither is there salvation. No other name but this name. Neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men. We'll make it clear there's no other name. No other name that exists through which man can be saved. No other name under heaven given among men. Neither is there salvation in any other, in any name that can be found. I could start naming the names of all the false prophets. 
Christ of Nazareth. He's the one and the only one. Praise God. So Saul of Tarsus, whom I just referred to, was in this pursuit of persecuting Christians in the ninth chapter of Acts. It says that he had driven, been given papers by the high priest of the Jews to go to the city of Damascus and dig out all of the Christians, all the believers, the followers of this new way, to bind them up, to take them to imprisonment, to persecute them. And he was on his way to do exactly that as he rode his animal along the dusty road on the way to Damascus and the retinue of people who were traveling with him were riding alongside him. Suddenly something happened. Suddenly there was a great flash of light like they'd never seen before. Brighter than any bolt of lightning. There was a voice that came out of heaven. The people didn't understand it. They just heard that it was a sound. But when Saul of Tarsus fell to the ground under the power of that mighty light and the victory of that great noise that was, that was the voice of the Lord Jesus, he fell to the ground. And in that great, great powerful spiritual victory that engaged him, that fully, fully encompassed him, as he fell there and, and, and lay in the dust on the ground, he's in his days, <laughs> who are you, Lord? Who are you? But he knew it was a divine encounter. He, in his spirit, had already recognized that something had happened to him from the throne of God. A bolt of lightning had taken him and knocked him on the ground, and he knew that it was something to do with the Lord. He just didn't know who or what it was all about. So he said, Who are you, Lord? And the voice came back that he understood, and nobody else did, but it was clear to him. He heard him say, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. It's hard for you to keep on working against the goads that are moving this message forward. And then he said, Lord. Now he knows. So now he says, Lord. Then he says, Lord, what will you have me to do? And Jesus said, get up and go into Damascus, and I'll tell you what. Then he told him who to go and where to what. And he really spoke clearly to him. And from Saul of Tarsus never doubted from that day forward. He never doubted a, a moment. But he had been born again, changed his life. He was riding down the dusty road to Damascus. Everything was fine. His life was all in order. He was a great Hebrew scholar. He had great credentials. He was a Pharisee. He had been circumcised and ordered by the law of the Lord on the seventh day. He proclaims this later on in the New Testament in his writings and his teachings. He says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was among those at the very top. My credentials were that I had great zeal for my God because I was persecuting the church, trying to destroy the church to benefit my God. And I found out I was totally wrong. I found out I was riding down the wrong road. And so he was riding, while he was riding down the wrong road, God knocked him off of his horse or donkey or camel or whatever he was riding, and he fell on the ground. And between that fall, that mountain he was on, he fell to the ground. And when he hit that ground, something changed about him. That road changed from the dusty road to Damascus, to a road path road of apostleship, working for God, having the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and on his way to heaven. Hallelujah. To the final point when it was all over, he could say, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. And henceforth has laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord has reserved for me for that day. Not for me only, but for all those who on that Damascus road will change course, who will set off the road that they've been on, and by the grace
grace of God and the power of Jesus Christ, they will be changed. They'll take a new direction and they'll start moving toward the power of God, the victory of God. They will overcome the grace of God and they'll start moving toward serving God and winding up in the place He's designed for them in the glory all who serve Him. So Jesus spoke and Saul of Tarsus received and understand it was still the same road physically when he got up and went the rest of the way into Damascus. But I'm going to tell you, from the time he left Jerusalem to the time he came to that point on the Damascus road when the Lord Jesus encountered him and struck him and dropped him to the ground, from that time when he got back up and got on his mount again and went into Damascus, that was a different journey. It wasn't like the same road. It was totally different from the first half of that road, the first part of that road he had traveled. Until he got that experience with Jesus Christ, he got up and started moving in. It was a different road. It didn't look like the same old dusty road. It looked like a glorious road. He could see a light on the path that he couldn't see before. He saw a direction that he hadn't seen before. He saw everything that he couldn't have seen. He saw it all in a different way. Although he had been struck blind at that time, he still saw it. Because in his spirit he knew, he recognized that there was a change in his life, a total difference in his life. He had been totally, absolutely, completely changed by the grace of God, by his encounter with Jesus Christ. I know what this is all about. I know what I'm talking about because that's what happened to me. On one Sunday night, August the 6th, many, many years ago, I've been back recently, five or six years ago, and looked to this place just so I could visit it and be there again. On that Sunday night, in a church without air conditioning with sweltering heat in the early part of August in North Carolina, God did something in my life that's never changed. It's always been there. He took hold of me and took me off the road that I was on, and he put me on the right road. Just like he did, I'm not claiming myself to be anywhere near what the Apostle Paul or anyone in the years I've been telling you. It was just as definite as that. It was just as real as that. But I fell down on my knees on that old uncarpeted wooden floor before an old metal chair. I can't see anything up here that looks as bad as that did. Just an old metal chair. Nothing, not a padding thing. It didn't matter. It wasn't an altar because that was too crowded. I went into a prayer room. I fell down before that old, that old metal folding chair. And I cried out to a God I did not know. I called him man. And forgive me. I mean that I cursed and profaned up until that time. But when I called him the name of Jesus, he didn't care. You know something? I left my shame at the door because I found out it wasn't welcome anymore. God changed my life in a miraculous ways. And, he's, and all that he's done since, with all the times I've failed, he's never failed me. He's never failed me. And I, and I have this confidence because he never has failed me. He never will. There are two paths to choose in life, my friends. You have to choose one or the other. And the, the victory for you, the blessing for you, the, all the benefits for you, the, all the glory of eternity for you is to choose the right path. Choose the right of the two roads. And I believe, again and again, I see that these two roads are clearly revealed to us. Psalm chapter 37, verse 23 says, the steps of a good and righteous man are directed and established by the Lord. The 
steps of a good man, the King James says, are ordered by the Lord. And he delights, the one whose steps are ordered by the Lord, he delights in his way, in God's way. God delights in the way this one is chosen. And he blesses his path. When your steps are ordered by the Lord because you're living righteously in the name of Jesus, not by your own righteousness, but by his righteousness, not by your power, but by his power, not by your favor, but by his grace. When you're walking in this, your steps are ordered by the Lord, is what the psalmist said. I believe it's true. And not only that, because he has ordered your steps, he blesses your path. He blesses the path that you're walking. There are abundant favors and blessings and victories that come to us because we're walking in the path that God has chosen for us. We've chosen to walk in God's way and God's path, and that's where the real victory is, and that's the possibility. Anybody who's not on that path, you can make a change today. It won't be by your own power. You don't have to do it by your own power. You will do it in the power of the Holy Spirit of God working through in your life as God has promised that he wills when you make the decision for Jesus. So here's what the, here's what the uh, New Living Translation says. First, I'm going to bring you this word. This word about Psalm 1. Look at verse 6. Write that at verse 6. This is the last part of the whole thing about two ways. The last part of it says, The Lord watches over the path of the godly. Psalm 1, verse 6. The Lord watches over the path of the godly. Hallelujah. He's watching over you every step you take on that path. The next part says, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. The path of Jesus leads to victory. God is looking over you every step because he's ordered your step. He's looking over every step that you take because he is blessing you as you walk in that way. Here's what the, what the Living Translation says about Psalm 1. I'm reading it now, just reading a psalm from, from New Living Translation. All the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Or stand around with sinners. Or join in with mockers. But they delight, those who walk in the fellowship of the Lord, they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. And they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. The leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff, scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment, which we heard Jesus speak about earlier. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, because in the eternal plan of God, he's going to make a separation. In that last judgment, he's going to make a separation that will direct us into his presence forever. For the Lord, this is what the last verse says, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly. The path that you're on is a path blessed of God. He looks over that. He takes care of the obstacles that are going to face you. He takes care of moving and smoothing the pathway ahead of you. He watches over the path of the godly. The path of the wicked leads to destruction. 
symbol between you and the Lord, that's all right. I encourage it, in fact. 